We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey everyone, welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience. This is the Corona Cast number nine. Me and Davis are... Talking about what's going on in our lives. Once again, it's going to be our final one, more than likely, as my wife is due to have our second son tomorrow as I record this. So hopefully everything goes as planned with that. And, you know, I'm off for a little bit. I have shows coming out every single day. We've put enough in the bank that we're good to go. So continue to enjoy the Pat Mayo experience. And if you can do me a favor, uh, as a as a gift to me, as a baby shower gift, please go leave a five-star review and subscribe to the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast up on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all those places. Going to need everyone to share the show around, to do everything like that. This is the last of this type of show. I think I have five fantasy football shows, a bunch of fantasy golf shows. We have an ultimate movie bracket that's coming out, plus some other cool interviews that I've lined up along the way. I've been banking over the last three months or so, so... Smash the like button for the video, too, and subscribe to Davis's podcast, The Take Cast. And maybe I can chime in from time to time from home and see how that goes. But, you know, I can't guarantee anything. All I can guarantee is that we will have at least five shows per week. Paul and Cody will always be jumping on for brand new UFC content, by the way. So there's plenty of stuff to go around. So sit back, enjoy the show. I hope everyone out there is doing well. I hope if uh, wherever you're at has reopened already, that you're staying safe and everything's going well for you. So... Well, it's gonna be it for me. Um, let's get to the conversation. Has anything changed with you over the past like week in terms of everything? Because I, for one, have started to wash my hands a lot more again. Uh yeah, I mean I think just like brain wise i think i'm just preparing myself for people i know to just be like all right it's time to go time to get back to it you know just like time to go back to to living yeah well, i mean that's one of the reasons i started washing my hands more just being more cognizant because i think we had spoke before about 
how that had kind of fallen by the wayside. Like I know coming like, yeah, cause I didn't go anywhere. Yeah. And coming, even like when I was coming in and out of my office, there was only two of us in the like entire building that were using the bathrooms or walking in and out of the building, everything like that. But now that people are kind of back to work, there's more people around that. It seems like a smarter thing to do now than it did two weeks ago. Weirdly enough. Yeah. And um, also, you know, like I'm, I'm just going to wear a mask going places. Cause like, if I can't, if I can't think uh, like, if I don't trust the average person to be being responsible about what they're exposing themselves to um, you know, how they're handling germs and stuff, like I'm going to, I'm going to wear a mask. But the mask is not going to protect you from it. Doesn't that protect the other people from it? Yeah. It's, so like the, the way that I understand the research is that it's mostly like, if you're a carrier, it helps it from, spreading and it just just overall it would be very helpful if everyone wore a mask because it's just harder for the virus to spread that way it's not it's not you know it doesn't doesn't solve the whole problem we don't we don't solve the pandemic overnight it just really limits the spread if everyone were to wear masks indoors yeah and i mean i'm glad we were able to find to kind of put a cap on this series i mean ideally by the time i'm back to doing shows full time again that we won't need to do a corona cast anymore that would be great wouldn't it oh buddy I, uh, I mean, I, I think the direction that we see this going in now is people are able to make their own decisions about um, the risk and a lot of really vulnerable populations, you know, people without health care, people who've lost their jobs during this, um, elderly people, uh, a lot of them are really going to bear the brunt of that decision by these people. And there are going to be some unnecessary deaths. But I also think that you know, this certainly was a situation. I mean, I got to hand it to the people who I don't, I don't have to, I am choosing to hand it to the people who disagree with me politically on a lot of things that it is true that some of the models that politicians were using to base their decisions on these things were not right. And it's also true that the economic and, um, you know, even like emotional ramifications of extended shelter in place orders were huge, right? There have been massive massive economic ramifications and like just i'm sure i'm you know suicide rates are up like i i'm sure there are more people who are depressed than ever just from you know being literally stuck in their houses all day yeah i i'm not a someone who's like prone to depression but like if i can't imagine how it would be if you were only because like i feel like low all the time like just being stuck in i'm sure that most people feel that way not going anywhere falling into the same like lazy routine every day that if you were prone uh to mental illness in any sort of way that this would only exacerbate the situation yeah i can't imagine uh you know being being a highly anxious person i mean what about what about people who actually have like you know not not depression or anxiety but like um, you know, people who are bipolar, schizophrenic, um, you know, and, and maybe they were borderline of those things, you know, borderline, uh, borderline schizophrenic, port, like, you know, where you're not full on, you're not in a, a home, like you can kind of live your life. I would imagine that that makes that so, so, so much worse. Yeah, as not a doctor, I don't know, but that would be my... Yeah, I don't know either. That, that would be my inclination as well, that this is just bad across the board for everyone. But... You know, hopefully that people take enough precautions that this is it. Like we, we've been through the worst of it, but I don't know, like on, on a range of outcomes, how likely do you think that is? If we are going back in, like if we're just, if we're just opening it back up and a lot of people aren't going to take precautions, 
I would imagine we have not been through the worst of it, at least at least uh, in terms of like death wise. Now, maybe we've been through the worst of it for many, many people because, you know, economic things are going to start to go back to normal jobs, schools, whatever, going to start to go back to normal, maybe. Um, but I would imagine that if we just go back to live in life, that uh, the health can like, you know, public health stuff is still going to be quite bad. Well, how do you like what is everything going on right now with uh, like where you're at in Kansas City? Like, is it a complete reopen? No. Uh, so the, the, the governor here in Missouri still had, I don't think the shelter in place orders are still in place, but you know, everywhere you go, um, people are, people are, are wearing, people are wearing masks. Um, social distancing is like uh, mandated by the governor. There are still like, you know, some public parks and stuff are, uh, like they have police, like they have park rangers, like going around and making sure, you know, that stuff is still, uh, not, not being, like you know, not not too far back to normal, I guess. So I, I think I think where I am at, we are we've sort of found um, like a the beginning of a happy medium. Yeah, like we're doing in Toronto, partial like there's a three step reopening that the premier has put in place. So I think that either I, I'm not sure if it happened on Thursday or it's happening on Tuesday because it's a long weekend in Canada. It's Victoria Day. So this is like the first big weekend where people generally go out, go camping, go to their cottages, whatever it might be. So I'm curious to see how that sticks in. But if it did happen on Thursday, like I, I've been in, in and out of the office, so I've seen people around. I've been to the store that people are following like the guidelines that were in place pretty well, like yeah, if, if people will continue to do this, I, I'm optimistic at least. Yeah, I am. I think optimistic if people continue to behave the way they are behaving right now. I am. I think pessimistic that you know once once a couple people go out and they're like they they they're living their lives and they they go to the store and maybe they um you know go they go to a restaurant for the first time and grab dinner six feet socially distance and it's fine. Like I just, I'm worried that the more individual people who find themselves not getting sick or don't know someone who's getting sick, the, the further and further the behavior stretches from being cautious and the further away we get from cautious behavior, the closer we are to like a big second outbreak. Yeah. So you think that people will become almost like it did during like a quarantine with people staying at home that like, oh yeah, I don't need to wash my hands as much. But I mean, that would make sense because I'm not going out anywhere all the time that there's going to be a malaise that sets in over the course of like a month kind of thing. And uh, by the way, I, I called it almost to the day, and we've been doing this from episode one. May 13th was my day that people would have had enough, and that's about when it happened. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you you did. You definitely uh, you definitely did call it. Uh, yeah, I mean, that would be my exact story, right? The, the, the general malaise would be my exact worry, that, that just people start to be a little bit too lax. And, you know, like, there's this big worry that uh, – like and and this has been put out from several epidemiologists and stuff that America is just the United States of America is not a culture that will be receptive to doing a lot of the things that will prevent a virus from spreading and i would say that i probably agree with that sentiment yeah i think that the reason that it's been worse in america like on a i mean I ha, the numbers dictate that it has been worse in america like but 
trying to wrap my mind around it. Like when you're dealing with that many people, obviously you can't believe a word China says like China, China's per yeah. capita numbers per million people is zero. Like that might be true. Cause there's like 2 billion people, but that also seems not right at the same time <laughs> that I like, where would you uh, gauge yeah. uh, compared to the rest of the world? How would you gauge how the United States is actually done with this? I think it's pretty clear that our leadership has not been as strong at handling this stuff as others. You know, like we've had governors who have just been completely clueless, you know, being like, oh, I, I didn't know the virus spreads that way. And, uh, you know, I think there's been a, a real lack of direction at a federal level. Like it seems like the government decides on a new path for combating the coronavirus uh, every day. And there's just there's very little unification between state and federal governments different branches of the federal government like it, it just it seems like a mess and the mostly why it seems like a mess to me is that americans have i think undergone a huge sacrifice and many people in many countries have undergone a huge sacrifice you know many people have lost their jobs uh people have, have not seen their friends not seen their loved ones there's been funerals with no one in attendance people have skipped their weddings you know done zoom weddings and it feels like almost like that effort by the American people has been wasted because there's no plan. There, there, there doesn't seem to be a plan in place for how to proceed. And that is um, like, that's a bummer. Well, it does kind of seem like the plan never really changed was that this isn't as serious as you think it is. And that's just yeah. going to be our game plan. And they were kind of right. <laughs> um, no, I mean, Hey, look, those people, the people who said this virus is not as deadly as we thought at first, those people were right, right? Like, the, like I, my original thoughts of, of what the death rate and stuff like that would be, they, they were wrong. I, I was wrong about how fatal this disease would be to the average person. Um, the, the issue you're going to have now, the issue that we have now is that it's very hard to reopen things get things going when we don't have uh, a great amount of testing and it's still just terrifying to think that like on average like 2000 people a day are are dying of this in the United States like it's very hard to be like all right like let's get concerts and sports like and and all these people are still dying so even though the fatality rate is much lower than originally projected it's not it's not low enough to just you know open it back up no, see, that would be my biggest concern. Like, I'm I'm good with not going to sporting events or concerts or gigantic congregations, anything like that. But it does feel like people want that back right away. And someone has to play the bad guy to be like, you can't do this. I'm sorry. Like, it's just not happening. I mean, people people want their concerts. They want to go to church. They want to they wanna do all the things that they love to do. They want to jam into bars and, and all that stuff. And I just, I don't know, man, whatever. Call me, call me a... a, a Trump derangement syndrome beta cuck all you want. I just, I can't see it being a good idea. No, it, it doesn't appear to be a good idea. And I'm, I'm glad to be wrong on that. Like, that's not stuff you have to do. Like, it's yeah, fun, imagine, it's fun to go do. But being if, wrong yeah. about this. It, it, like, that means everyone wins. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's, I, I'm, I'm good personally. And I know that not everyone is the same way of sacrificing those things so we can, like, incrementally get back to the point where we're good. Yeah, many people don't want to sacrifice those things, but like I'm fine with my, you know, getting out of the house activity being golfing outside or, you know, hanging out in my front yard five feet away from some friends, right? Like I, I'm cool. I'm cool with that being 
socialize like my, my activities for now, there are many people, you know, there are many people who just, they have very rarely been told no in their lives. And they, they think that being asked to wear a mask or being asked to sacrifice and, and do something for the greater good is being oppressed. And they're just, there's really no reasoning with those people, I guess. I suppose so. But I think that these people are more prevalent online. Uh, then you actually yes, encounter that's true. that you actually encounter in real life. Cause you just kind of said that like when you go to places, you see people wearing masks. When I go to places, I see people wearing masks. It's not a hundred percent of people, but when it comes to like outside of the door right now, my studio is below a drugstore, but you, it's like it doubles as a supermarket as well. Like you can buy food there, mm-hmm. you can buy whatever. And there's a lineup out the door because there's only so many people that can go into the store at one time. And every single person in that line is like eight feet apart. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's actually, uh, I, I, um, I went, I was driving somewhere yesterday and I I drove by a Trader Joe's and I saw that everyone in the line was socially distanced. And I was like, you know, honestly, I really, you know, given the, the political dynamics at play in, um, Missouri, I just, I really would not have expected that. And I, I am, uh, I, I, that, that is encouraging stuff for me. Yeah. Cause I, I think that people, whether they're, Let's reopen it right away. You know, this isn't as bad kind of thing. I felt everyone worries about this. Like, no one is denying this is a real thing. And that was always, like, kind of the fear at the beginning. Is like, well, people just don't believe this is a real thing. Everyone believes it's a thing. <laughs> Maybe not everyone, but, like, 90% of people. Yeah, not, I would say, like, 99% of people. You're going to get insane people, sure. But the... Close to 100% of people understand that there are risks with this. And I was actually listening uh, to like a viral control type person, and they were talking about like why the correlation to the flu wasn't is completely different. And I thought this was really interesting. And maybe this has been talked about a bunch, but I hadn't heard it. Like influenza in general attacks kids. Whereas this generally attacks people with bad immune systems, the elderly, like people with diabetes are going down at like a really, like that would be terrifying. Uh, yeah. Apparently if you have diabetes, like do, do not get coronavirus. Uh, that's not going to work out well, but that's just a weird yeah. shift in like who a virus attacks and the coronavirus itself is just more aggressive once you have it, if you're susceptible to it. Yeah, because as we've talked about, there there just is there's no herd immunity to this at all. Like your your body just doesn't have any any built-in antibodies whatsoever at all to deal with this. But yeah, it, it is it is interesting that yeah, the flu the flu travels via kids. Um, you know, kids kids get it and it it seems like, you know, not not kids are immune because there have been some kids that have died of the coronavirus, but that it's the way that this virus works, it is much harder for it to impact the immune system of children. Whereas this is just like, uh, if you, if you're, if you're fat, if you are like, I mean, I, I think cancer patients, uh, obviously run really bad with this stuff. Just like any, any preexisting health conditions are a total nightmare with this. Yeah. Obesity is a really big one. That's been pointed out. Do you think that's a reason that America has been struggling with this? You said it, not me, man. I mean, I don't live in America, but I've been to America a lot, but I mean, that would, you can say that in one sense, but like I would say that the fittest place I've ever lived is probably Toronto. People are, you know, there's there's fat people everywhere, obviously, but like in sure. in the downtown core of Toronto, people are generally pretty fit. And I noticed the same thing when I lived in Manhattan too. So, what's that really telling me? It's not like people in Manhattan were fine. 
Right. I um I saw this uh I saw this interesting theory the other day that um like loud talking like like people yelling like uh or like sports arenas like that is like that is that is basically like projectile vomiting the vi- like if you have the virus and that happens like there so there's this sort of theory that part i mean obviously there's just the transmission rates are going to be so much higher in cities but like you know in in italy they basically traced back the the outbreak of the disease to uh like this really highly attended soccer game and there's some theory that like you know, places where people are yelling and making a lot of noise are, are, are very likely to be like super high transmission centers. And, uh, you know, that that's a bummer. That's a logical way of thinking, though, because if you're speaking very lowly, there's not a lot of projectile coming out of your mouth, like spit sure. or anything like that, where if you're yelling, there probably is. <laughs> yeah, it's going everywhere. And if all people are yelling at the same time, like at a sporting event, everyone's mouths are open, too. Yeah, so that just yeah, and people are high fiving and shaking hands and everything. Like I, I don't know, man. I I gotta think that it's gonna be years before I go to a sporting event or concert or something, which is a huge bummer because I love going to sporting events. I love going to concerts, and that's gonna be that's gonna be a bummer. And and I imagine that there are going to be many other people who go back to those things and are far more comfortable, you know, than I am. And that's you know, it's gonna gonna give me some envy, I guess. Well, yeah, I, I would probably be more on, probably not as pessimistic, pessimistic as you are in attending one of these things, but I think that I would lean more on that side of caution that if this is still kicking around, probably not going to go to a Raptors game. Um, I'll just watch it on TV. I'll be okay with that. But people will go back. Like I worry about, and actually I, I talked about this briefly on a show that's upcoming, because uh, this, like I said, this is the last thing I'm going to record before I go on paternity leave. So I, I got a lot of, I got... 16 shows in the bank, Davis. How blessed. I mean, it took a lot of hard work. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I I meant how blessed of me to be the last one to talk to you before you go uh, have your child. Yeah, and we we recorded back-to-back shows. We get like three hours chatting together. Unfortunately, this one's not all about fantasy football, like the one that people will hear in like four days' time. But here we are. But I was talking to Custom Jeff about it a little bit. Like the SEC is like planning on running everything out with fans right away, it sounds like. And that just sounds like a terrible idea. Putting like 100,000 people in Louisiana where there's already an outbreak. Like, come on. <laughs> seems like uh, It seems like the, uh, the Deep South is... Uh... They're just, they just want to get back to it. Like it's, it's uh, an area where people, again, it seemed like the spread was wider, but that, you know, no one was really all that worried about it. And, you know, maybe, maybe the fact that there just are not deaths left, right and center in, um, in Florida, maybe, maybe that should be a huge signal to all of us that, you know, maybe like, maybe we should all chill out a little bit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And maybe people were were more right about the hot weather than maybe we had given them credit for. Maybe just being outside. And maybe the theory that if you're outside, it's just harder to get. (laughs) That, I think, I mean, I think I just believe that, right? Like, I I just think that the transmission stuff outside is really low, right? Like, I I just, or or maybe, maybe I just have to believe that because, like, I'm going in... yeah, I mean, I'm going insane inside my house and I have been doing activities outside, but also, yeah, personal experience. I've been doing things outside. Like I've been, I've been golfing. I've, I've gone a couple, um, you know, I've got, I've done a couple things outside and, uh, I'm, I'm not dead. I, I don't have the coronavirus to my knowledge. So maybe, maybe that's just uh, some bias sneaking in there. What's the mood like at the golf courses? 
Well, I go, so I go golf with, um, old farts. I, I golf with, um, my girlfriend's uncle here and his buddies. And, uh, let me tell you, no, no people at the golf, many people at the golf course are, uh, they would be, they would be considered coronavirus, uh, truthers, I, I guess. Like they don't believe it's real or they just don't care. Yeah. Like, I mean, you know, they're not, uh, they're not, they're not, uh, taking social distancing 100% seriously, I guess. I mean, you know, but, but I get, but again, you know, they're, they're doing it outside, but like, you know, shaking hands after the match and stuff like that, like stuff I would not do. I, I can see that. Like, are, are they using like hand sanitizer or anything? Or are they just like, ah, fuck it. I mean, maybe at, maybe it's at some courses, the course I've played um, the last weekend, there was, there was none of that. The, the ball went in the cup, you know, all, all that stuff. That's a really hard one for me. Like when people were playing with the, well, there's, there's two schools of thought on this. Like when they were playing with like the, the pool noodle in the hole, like that seems really weird to me, but then they developed Mm -hmm. this thing where they like, there's a hook that you can put on the flag and you can just pull it out with your putter. And then people were like, well, I wouldn't want to ruin my putter. Like that also seems somewhat insane to say as well. Like what what are we talking about here? (laughs) Yeah. That also seems insane. I mean, I just, I just reached down in the, I just reached down in the hole and got my ball and like, whatever, again, you know, just sort of operating on the theory, like I'm outside. I'm just, I am just going to count on transmission rates being low and try not to be um, like too uh, neurotic about this. What do you do with the bunkers? You just play it as it lies, move it around. Don't rake it, that kind of thing. Yeah, no, no rake. Um, I think I only, this course I played at does not have a ton. I think I hit it in the bunker once and I, 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 uh, I just pulled it out. I just pulled it out and hit it from the rough and I just didn't get in. Cause I didn't want to deal with it. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. Like, it's just like, I mean, if you're not, you know, if you're not out there, like, uh, as like a five handicap, like trying to improve your scores and you're just trying to get out of the house, like, you know, th- don't be a hardo. That's how I also feel about people who wear pants at the golf course. Yeah. I mean, it's gotta be like 40 degrees for me to wear pants at the golf course. Yeah. Like, it needs to be cold to wear pants at the golf course. Like if you're wearing pants at a golf course and it's a super hot day and you don't play on the PGA tour, you're an asshole. Yeah. You are, you are an asshole. Like and if you, and, uh, and you, you, yeah, they're just, I mean, there are many assholes. Like you're going to find a lot of assholes at golf courses. It's really, it's really a place that draws them in. Maybe, maybe not. Like you get more of like your rich asshole at a golf course yeah that i mean yeah yeah just like uh your your uh your your thads but not all rich people are assholes and not all not True. rich people aren't assholes like assholes are assholes across the board <laughs> there are many there are many assholes of many variety many of, of all of all sizes shapes and colors that's true yeah so i mean i maybe it's just because I, I think we're seeing a lot of this uh, too, and I, I don't want to step on my show on Monday because we open with the MLB labor talks and just like Blake Snell and Trevor Bauer and that kind of thing. And you know that I'm, you know, we've had these discussions. I'm not particularly like pro union or anything like that, but this is a situation where I understand the value of a union for the players because the players are getting raked through the coals here with bad publicity. But what they're saying is absolutely true. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no doubt about it. Like they are, uh, they are just getting taken advantage of there's, there's, there's not really, I don't really think there's a way around that. Like the, the billionaires are trying to get them to play for discounted rates and, uh, baseball players in general, 
they are the way that the wage structure is set up, you're structured to be underpaid until you're 30. And I don't want to get too deep into the weeds of it and step on Cus because I think he makes a good point with this. Is it's just generally the optics of it. No one disagrees with what they're saying, uh, and it's hard for someone to say because I I just kind of compared it to if you were making twenty five dollars an hour to do a job, but because of the pandemic sales were down and they said, you know what, in order to keep your job, you can only make $15 an hour now. And you agreed to that because that only makes logical sense. The business isn't making a lot of money. You need to reduce your wages. The wages of the overall company are going down. That makes sense. It's like that. But then the owner comes in and says, you know what, I'm only going to pay you $5 an hour now. Eventually you're just like, fuck this. Like, you know, we yeah, agreed. Like why? We, we agreed to this. You can't keep changing the goalposts on our negotiated contract that comes down. We were willing to give it up and reduce our pay to a prorated rate for how many games. You can't expect us to take less than that. Like someone eventually has to make a stand. And there's a disconnect between someone who makes $15 an hour and a guy who makes $33 million a year. But the principle is exactly the same. Yeah, the principle, the principle is 100% the same. And yeah, and, and but people, you know, people don't see it that way because of the raw, uh, you know, just the raw amount of dollars that are out there. They just they just view them those things as different. Yeah. And like, that's tough. to. I understand that's very tough to do. Like, I'm far closer to the person who makes the $15 an hour than the guy who makes $4 million a year. <laughs> Like I get, right. I yeah. get why I can't put myself into that situation, but like in a nutshell, economically, and as someone who works, like I understand the point that the players are making. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, the players have the thing that's valuable and they're saying, you know, if you want to make money off of us, you need to compensate us, you know, fairly. Right. And, and I mean, and I guess, I guess fair is where, fair is where all of that you know uh where the arguments come in it's like what what would fair be sure and then you see the other people would be like well i would play baseball like you, you're so greedy i would play baseball for free it's like yeah well i'd play it for free because i love the game yeah yeah well, no one's asking you to play for free pal sorry <laughs> yeah exactly yeah but that is that is where um that is why people get upset is because they they can only see things from from their perspective and people making there's there's a really interesting case that people make about like well frontline workers don't make as much as you know MLB baseball players and they're still out there working they're putting their lives on the line and they don't understand that they're making the opposite argument for the players being like yeah we don't need to come back <laughs> like we're we're not essential yeah, we, workers <laughs> yeah we're not, we're not essential workers and we are uh and 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 people those people are also kind of owning themselves in the sense of like you're right healthcare workers should absolutely be making more money which is uh you know interestingly not really um a perspective that i've seen thrown out there you know i've i've seen more of the you know hashtag thank you healthcare workers stuff than uh just pay these people more uh the canadian government actually stepped in i think 5 weeks ago it was and all healthcare workers frontline workers got like because you know the governments are just cutting blank checks at this point right like every government in the world that one of the things that they did was instituted i think it was a 15 percent raise for all frontline healthcare workers just from the government like thanks all the the united states federal government did not do that for for uh american healthcare workers well that's also a part of the sending everyone back i think that's why some of the governors are doing it because it's draining the budgets the economy oh the, yeah it just like if they're state governments are getting wrecked. Yeah, like if business is open, we don't need to pay unemployment. Yeah, I mean it's it's basically uh like part of the reopening thing is a hustle 
to not have to pay as much unemployment because if your businesses are open and, and you say, I don't want to go because I don't want to get COVID. That's on you. Uh, that's on you. Yeah. You, we, you don't, you don't get unemployment. Which so, sucks. I mean, very that's sad. Yeah. But I mean, that, that's, that's really the reason for a lot of this stuff, which I mean, I get the quicker we can get this back going and we establish some sort of new normal of how we're going to live. And that new normal is an incremental pace to get back to the way that it was before all this started. I'm completely for that. I just don't want to see uh, the, the Mao giant leap forward and have it turn out as badly as that did. <laughs> yeah, we don't, uh, we don't want that, but uh, you know, I, I don't know. Like a, a, at some point it does just sort of become about risk tolerance and some people will be more risk averse and some people will be more risk tolerant. And um you know, the, the risk tolerant people will, uh, you know, maybe get rewarded or maybe not, you know, who knows? Well, it, it's funny to hear you say, like, you have a risk aversion to a lot of this stuff. Like, you'll be the last person to fly or go back to an amphitheater or a sporting event. Because I'm, I'm a disgusting gambler? Well, just because you seem to be entirely, like, inherent, inherently risky in everything else that you do in your life. Yeah, there are some, there are some risks that, uh, that I are that i like taking that are that i'm more predisposed to take but like you know have you ever taken one of those like you know personality tests of like you know what 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 matters to you you know like uh i think it somehow ties it i haven't taken one of these for years but i will always remember that at some point for some eval thing i had to take like a what matters to you test and i i scored like a like a 100 like like 100 percent of uh like a need for me is like survival like i i'm like terrified of dying right or terrified of getting like really sick and uh so that's like a huge driving force for me and i yeah like that's just true like i don't want to get sick and die of covid at all so the big thing with you is like in terms of like your risk tolerance for different things anything that would affect your mortality is one thing but like money is money money comes and goes i can be as risky as i want with that yeah, like or or like, you know, there's not really that much of a difference between making you know, x amount of dollars a year or, you know, two times that. Like cuz it's not it's you know, it's not enough money to to be rich or to really be poor. So like I should take these financial risks because if I take x y and z amount of financial risk, maybe I can become like actually rich. So like I'm I'm fine like risking like, you know, what would to some people be like uh, an irresponsible amount of money because like the difference of things does not make as much a difference to me. Whereas like uh, there, there's not uh, there's not a sliding scale of being dead. No, there's not. But I, I'd actually be curious to know what you think that amount of money is, because I would wager that like doubling your money, for example, that if you made $30,000 a year and all of a sudden you made $60,000 a year, that would be a that would huge, be different. That would be a huge shift in your life like that would be probably that would be a more impactful thing on your life than someone who is making five hundred thousand dollars a year making a million dollars a year like i think like there yes. gets to be a cap like if you and if you were making sixty thousand dollars a year and all of a sudden you were making a hundred and twenty thousand dollars a year that is an incremental jump as well but if you went it from- is but but what is what so so at that point if you're making sixty thousand dollars a year and you don't live in you know a, a huge city or anything like that you know you live somewhere relatively affordable i don't know um how much different your life really becomes there's if you a, go to well, one hundred twenty thousand dollars a year well there's a safety net in your life now like if you make sixty thousand dollars and you live in 
let's say a median place. You can afford your house, you can afford your car, you can afford to put food on the table, but if anything shitty happens in your life, you don't necessarily yeah, have you're, all you're, this. You're, to- you're, you're toasted. You're toast. And like if you make the $30,000, like you're living paycheck to paycheck, basically. So there is never yeah. room for savings. But even if you're saving at $60,000, obviously, if you make double the money of the $30,000 person, your entertainment budget is a little bit bigger. You're probably not as frugal as you once were. Um, so even the, sa- the savings don't des- necessarily, like let's say you're someone who saved at $30,000. And you were able to save money, like you budgeted your life that way. No matter how much money you make, you're always going to be that frugal. Like if you make a hundred thousand dollars a year, you're going to save tons of money because you've always been good at saving money. You found a way to do that to budget yourself, and you can probably hold yourself to those rules. Most people don't do that very well. Most people are very bad at saving. But if you went from sixty thousand to hundred and twenty thousand, you would just have more wiggle room. Now I think going from like one twenty to two forty, there's less of a difference there. So it definitely, what you're saying is true about more wiggle room, but it doesn't change your, like going from 60 to 120,000 doesn't change your day to day all that much. Like you're, it's still probably not enough for you to go out and, you know, go buy a house or go buy like some crazy nice car or get a pool installed. Like it, it makes you more comfortable. It probably like reduces, you know, some of your anxiety and stuff, but it, and and I mean, maybe, maybe this is wrong and maybe other people live differently than me and have different, maybe, maybe I don't have enough needs or maybe my needs are just different, um, from, from other people. But I, I don't know if, you know, if my, you know, if I went to making $200,000 a year, I can't think of, you know, how different, I mean, I would gamble more, right? Like I would gamble higher stakes and and stuff, but I don't know how much my day to day would really change. No, but you'd probably save a lot more money. Probably would save a lot more money. Yeah, that's probably true. Like, and that all ends up on, I mean, if you're a, you know, someone who inherits risk and you, I mean, not necessarily like sports gambling or gambling in general, you would buy more Bitcoin. You would take more risk in the stock market because if it went wrong, you're not out everything. I mean, I do, I still do make a lot of financial risks in terms of stock market and Bitcoin and everything, but you are, you are right that I would take even more risks that I would put even more of my net worth down on those things. That is true. Yeah. But, and you would also have the safety net that if everything went to zero, you'd still probably be fine. I'd still, I'd still be okay. Yeah. Yeah. I see what you're saying. But so, but there gets to like, there's a breaking point with that where obviously in terms of affording your lifestyle, being comfortable, having a safety net, buying, building a portfolio, anything like that, the more money you make, the better when it comes down to all of it. But there are different gaps in like doubling the amount of money that you would have that are far, far more impactful on people's lives day to day and the stability of their lives at a certain point. Like I would say $100,000 is probably the cap. Like if you go from making 100 to 200,000, like obviously you're making double what you made before, but you're already making a really good salary. I think the the most recent thing that I read about this cuz I I like you find this to be a pretty fascinating subject is that there is not a marked difference in happiness for people after they cross $70,000 a year is the, is the most recent thing I remember reading. I'll, let me see if I can go find the source for that right now. How do you gauge happiness? Because like on the happiness index in terms of like place to place, country to country, like the United States is not super high. <laughs> right. Like, de- like money isn't the only contributing factor to happiness. Like, I know a lot of rich people who are supremely unhappy, and I know a lot of 
like, I wouldn't say poor people, but people not doing great and are completely happy. Like, I think that's a, that's your, your personal, your personality to begin with your environmental factors of where you live, the society that you live in. And a lot of it is like chemical balance within you too. Stuff you just simply cannot control unless you're like on drugs. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the cause of all suffering is desire. That is, I, that, that is like universally true. Explain that to so me more. You, I'm trying to wrap my mind around that. Like the, so want, like, the like wanting. Yeah. Or just wanting or needing anything that, uh, that you, you don't have like that, that is what causes suffering. Like if you think about the things that pain you, it's like, um, you know, I'm, I'm sad because this didn't happen or, uh, you know, and, and a, a lot of that also relates to our attachment to things, you know, our, our wanting for things to be different, like our, our inability to be serene and comforted by, by just living and existing is, is the cause of, of what, uh, of what ails us. I, this is not me being a philosopher. This is, I mean, these are literally just the tenets of Buddhism. I would throw back at that, just using me as a personal example. Like I'm trying to think of like my life that when I have a goal and I'm focused on accomplishing something or wanting more, that drives me. And I'm generally a happier person when that happens. I find myself to be the most unhappy when I'm just simply having nothing to do. Yeah. So it's not, it's not necessarily um, desire in, in the context of the way we think about it as like Western people of like, uh, you know, wanting to get things done or whatever. Um, it's more like, attachment to just like things in the mortal world like the things that the things that bum us out the things that cause us pain are just very likely to be like physical it like non-ethereal things that we want or need for for whatever reason like material goods is basically what you're saying or or like uh like i i really want to be loved or i really want to feel the x y or z from this person like like those are those are things that are um very likely to to cause us pain i can see that 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 actually makes a lot of sense to me but i I do think a lot of it is just independent on the person too like everyone's wired so differently and things can be off in you that you don't even know about which are causing a lot of this yeah, I mean, this is this is a you know that's a much larger conversation about you know like biochemical depression and you know anxiety disorders, schizophrenia, bipolar, um, you know all all of that. But like the the general way, and and again, people always get mad like when I when I if I if I, if I get something wrong, like this is the way I understand things, um, which is just that the the things that cause, and this is how I understand things for me is like when I get when I feel myself being upset, sad, whatever, it's because I want something, whether that be like, I want to not feel bored. I want to not feel hungry. I want to not feel sad. Like it's all, it's all wanting to feel something other than what I'm feeling in that moment for whatever reason. Oh, well, I hope you're doing better with this. Yeah. I mean, no, like I, I actually, I actually think that, um, quarantine has been helpful for me in terms of regulating my own behavior. Um, because you, you just have, you are, you are so like, you are so often just left alone with your thoughts these days, right? Like you just are, I'm spending more time in solitude than, than ever before, really. 
Yeah. So do you think that this has been a net positive for you for self-reflection, that kind of thing? Or do you just think you're ready to have this all over with? Uh, no, because I can't, I can't go to the, the fucking gym. Eventually, like if, if you're going to be allowed to go to the gym, eventually, like the Amazon back order of even just buying your own gym, like you can just set up something in your house and you'll be fine. I can't, I can't get, I have not been able to motivate myself for in-home workouts. I've done some stuff at home. I've been running. I've been, uh, I've been out skateboarding a couple times. Like I've, I've done more things, but like, I just undoubtedly, like I was in such a good fitness health routine before this started and my my desire to go to the gym have two hours to just go run and lift weights and get sweaty and get gross and uh like i just i just i that whole routine uh i i can't get over missing it yeah i miss that too and and my fitness has suffered because of it but having i finally get my dumbbells the the proper weights delivered to my house but just like having the dumbbells around. I finally went out and I got myself a bench as well. Like just being able to continuously lift weight at home. Well, I'm gaining weight and I feel like a fat person now, although I'm clearly yeah. I'm not, but like, I'm just not used to being this heavy, but I think a lot of it just yeah. has to do with like my dieting has been really bad and not that like I'm eating, Same. I'm not eating McDonald's and fast food three times a day. It's just, it's that extra meal. The, and like, I have more time than ever at home, but I'm far, cook, yeah. but I'm far less likely to cook than I used to be, which is really weird. Like there, there, I, there is something that goes along with it, it's all wrapped up in one. Like I've always found it really hard to eat clean and eat healthy. If I'm not working out at the pace that I want to work out that the general yeah. malaise of, yeah, I'm lifting weights, but I'm not running as much as I was. And instead of working out for an hour, I'm working out for half an hour. Like it's just a bunch of little things like that, but that is translated over into like a laziness in the rest of my life too. No, I, I completely, yeah, I, I could not, I could not understand this anymore. Like if I'm like, well, if I'm not working out, uh, you know, if I'm not running an hour a day and then getting in an hour of lifting weights, like what's even the point? Like, I just want to sit on the couch and be a, a fat piece of shit. Yeah. And it, it works doubly the opposite way. Cause when, when you're eating well and doing double the workout, it's like four times as good for you. And then you scale back the workout to half the workout that you were doing, or even less potentially, and you're eating poorly. Like my body's just, it's like, oh yeah, yeah. You, you, we're, we're not healthy anymore. Like screw you basically. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that, yeah, it, it's true. And like, uh, yeah, it's just a whole, there's a whole motivation quandary that uh i just i'm not even i'm not even sure how to solve basically hey you just you have to either develop a new routine and stick to it like that that's been my hardest part because i started doing hit workouts outside when it was nice out but it rained like three days in a row so i didn't do it three yep. days in a row and then i just i haven't done it since and like that's not like me yeah like it's every time i've gotten into a routine you know I, I do something three days in a row, then, then, Oh, I don't feel good the next day. Or I got a call late one day. So I skip it. And then it just been, it's been, a, it's been a nightmare and it's, uh, it's really probably exposed to me how, uh, non mentally strong I am compared to where I would like to be. Well, it's funny because like when, when I got my life kind of back on track, uh, to where I started out, like even in this industry to where I'm at now, like, hard work ethic, everything like that kind of correlated when I first started working out seriously. Like I took the time to like, I was fat and out of shape. So I was like, I gotta, I gotta lose like 30 pounds right away. I was like 200 and 
230 pounds at the time. I was like, I need to get below 200 and I need to get myself into good shape. You know, change your diet up, start working out, start running, like very incremental things. And then I got into pretty good shape because I, I, I had stopped playing sports by that time. I started playing sports again. Uh, but all of that stuff turned into one. Like, And then all of a sudden I was a much harder worker than I was before. Like I had the mental stability to focus on things and follow through on things. And I feel like I'm leaning back towards where I was before. Now I have different priorities, obviously at the same time. This is the last show that I'm filming before my wife and I introduce our second child into the world, hopefully. Uh, obviously I don't know that as of right now. We're scheduled for Sunday, but that could always you know, turn out to be three days from now. They could push us back another week. Who knows? Uh, depending on what's going on but that's where my primary focus is right now it's not on working it's not on any of that it's you know making sure that the kids are okay we don't have family that can come up and help us so my wife and I we have like she's going to have a newborn she's going to have just went through labor so it's going to be incumbent on me to make sure that our 16 month old is fed put to bed watched at all times if we had some more help it would be easier to do the kind of other things and I want to make sure that even though I'm taking care of him from 6 a.m. till 7 p.m. every single day that I don't want to let my health get completely out of whack. Like if I can just maintain where I'm at right now, like during the quarantine, I think that would be okay. I would like to improve it, but I just think that might be unrealistic, but I don't want to slip either at the same time. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a huge challenge. I would imagine, you know, of, of, I imagine literally like all parents have this quandary of like, well, shit, you know, like I'm stuck watching this kid. How am I, you know, how am I going to exercise? How am I not going to become, uh, you know, fat over the, over the course of quarantine, you know, who, who really knows? I I don't think it's so much. I I don't think it's so much as a being like to the point I was trying to make, it's not so much of me becoming fat and unhealthy. It's just once that starts happening to me, my mental capacity to focus just goes way down, just goes way yeah. down. And I don't want that to happen. Like if I'm like, there's nothing really more important than taking care of my son and taking care of my wife and a newborn. Cause like, she's you know, for at least a few weeks, like she's going to be laying in bed most of the day and taking care of the baby, that kind of thing. Like a newborn that's feeding off of her, she's going to be tired. Like it's incumbent upon me to have energy, to have focus that I worry that if I don't get in some sort of working out that I have to build that in just because that's how, like we talked about people function in different ways. People's internal chemical balance is different. Like I am pretty sure that all of these things that I normally do, eating well, working out, leads to me having more energy, having more focus, because I don't want that to slip when I have to take care of my family at this point in time. Because if we had help, that would be different. Like if my parents were able to come up or her parents were able to come up, we could shuffle that off to them a little bit. But this is just a really bizarre situation because of the point in time that we live in. Yeah, it's like a, it's your mental health is very tied to your physical health. Like if you are, if you are working out, you're feeling good, your endorphins are going, your, your heart is healthy, right? Like it just, it is the, the effects, the positive effects to your body are like your body and your mind are like almost unlimited. If you are in like a good regular exercise routine, like when I, when I'm in a bad mental headspace, it's almost like certain to be not um, coinciding with working out. Like the further I am from like good, uh, a good workout routine, the closer I will be to just being in like a, a, a not great mental place. Yeah. I, I, 
I feel like that's ubiquitous across the board for people, but I, I could be completely wrong about that. I just, I, I know some people who work out and they feel like death for five days. They're usually people that don't work out. And the common mistake that I think that people make who don't work out that try to work out is they try to do way too much the first yeah, time. Yeah, they out. go way, way too hard. Yeah. yeah. And then they never go back. So like they're, I know that there are programs out there for it, but when you see like fitness programs for people, it's usually for people that are wanting to be fit to begin with, which, fit. Which, yeah. which as a market, I understand because people that are concerned about fitness want to get like, oh, how can I maintain? How can I get a six pack? How can I get large? Like th- those different types of things because they're just more willing to buy that kind of thing. Then I think that there is probably a, a, it's probably a softer market and it's probably more exposed than I know about. But like intro to working out, you don't see a lot of that stuff. I'm sure it's out there. I'm sure that it is not as profitable as, you know, selling something to a product that selling a product to people that already want it. And I'm sure there are, you know, there are loads of barriers in the way uh, from someone who's like, like, I'm, I'm like right now I'm like out of shape, but I'm not like disgusting, but like, I, you know, but like if I was 50 pounds heavier, like, man, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I would, what, what steps it would take me to like, get me to go back to the gym. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like, I feel like I would be, I feel like there are so many obstacles in the way. I I honestly think that changing your diet before doing any sort of exercise is the first thing that you need to do. That would be like my, if I was to write the book on this, like just learn how to eat better. And that's not to say like, you can't eat all the stuff that you currently enjoy. Maybe your diet or your, your eating better, just eat 20% less. Than you currently yeah, eat, eat, eat a little less, maybe, maybe skip dessert. I mean, intermittent, intermittent fasting, I think would be a great direction for a lot of people to go in. Right? right. Like, I think, I think that would be good for a lot of people. Well, yes and no. I think that would be effective, obviously, but the rigorous rules of intermittent fasting, I think are really good for some people because they keep you in line, but those are probably also the people that don't have a problem forcing themselves to go work out either. Like, it's all part and parcel, well, kind of the same I, I thing. Like, can, think... can you follow the rules? These are the rules. Like, I work out 11 a.m. every single day, so you work out at 11 a.m. every single day. I only eat – this is not me. This is just a, you know, a straw man. Uh, I eat from 11. I have my first meal at 10 a.m. every day, and I have my last – bite at 5 p.m. every day and I don't eat outside that window that's great but it seems like the person who works out regularly every day is the person who would be more apt to eat that way too well all of this stuff that we're talking about is all mental discipline stuff and you're not you know you're not going to become the most mentally most mentally disciplined person you know you're not going to develop those skills overnight the same way you're not going to you develop giant biceps um overnight right and I would say that Intermittent fasting, and this this is, I'm sure it's different for everyone else. For me, intermittent fasting was a good way to start working out the muscle of being disciplined about what I was putting in my body. So I've tried to do intermittent fasting during the isolation and the quarantine. I've yeah, had, that's not going to work for me. It, it didn't work for me at all. And like, yeah. but again, that went back to when I was working out a bunch. I found it really easy. And I needed more, yeah. I needed more food when I was working out more, but now I'm doing less and eating more food. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, uh, so quarantine has just thrown so many things in a loop for so many people, I'm sure. Uh, and, and like you talked about, I mean, I, you know, I tried to do the, uh, I tried to do the intermittent fasting thing during this and, uh, it was, 
was not a successful experience for yours truly. Yeah, that's going to be a bummer. Well, I don't have a ton of stuff outside of like Trump super duper missile to talk about, which I just thought was like the funniest thing I've seen in some time. That, I mean, this dude, like, I just, I can't even, I, I like, I just am to the point with him where I just am like, I just, I can't even really talk about him. Cause like, what, what is there to say? Like he's uh he's, you know, not a, not a, not a good person. He's, he's not handling the government very well. And it's just, he just puts me on tilt to think about and talking about talking about the election is just as tilting because all the outcomes there are, are bad basically. And so it's just, we're just really sweating out the next four years and hoping that uh, the pandemic, like I, so like uh, I, someone put this to me the other day, I think it was actually on this show yesterday with, with Rotopat, but they said, what if, what if um, 2020 is actually the good year? Like, oh, what if that, like, we think, like, we think 2020 is terrible and we're like, oh my God, everything's terrible. Everyone's dying everywhere. But, but what if, what if 2020 is the good year, Pat? You would like to believe that that's not the case. I really, I mean, I, I, I go back and forth between being overly pessimistic and thinking 2 million people are going to die in America from the coronavirus to like, it's going to be fine. We're a resilient people. We have a lot of smart scientists, a lot of great doctors. It's going to be fine. Like I just, this whole thing has really, um, you know, put my my optimism uh, meter to the test. Well, I don't listen to Bill Simmons as much as uh, like I used to like five years ago, but I will always tune in anytime Closterman is on with him. I think Chuck Closterman is my favorite media personality by far. Like it's not even close. I just, I enjoy listening to him talk. Like I listen to this podcast with him and Chris Ryan. That's only on Spotify called music talks, music lives, music, music exists, music exists. Yeah. See, I don't even know what the title is, but I listen to all of them. I don't even really care about music. I just enjoy the conversations that he tends to have. And he pointed this out when he was on the Simmons podcast the other day, I was just like, Hey, close to me. I get like jazzed up when I see that he's on. Uh, that our collective memory of the quarantine is likely going to be positive because that, that's just how we remember things. <laughs> yeah, we think about we think about how things went well. Yeah, not even things how it went well, but like I, I think it was his point. Like twenty years from now, when kid, when people's kids are going off to college, you'll be like, "Wow, I remember that time during the quarantine where I spent every day with my kids. Like that was great." <laughs> that's so fun. I mean, it's probably true. I don't know if I. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I like Closterman as much as um as much as you do, but that is that is a, a that is like a very interesting point that like yeah, like I will probably think about the quarantine and I won't think about like how triggered I got every day by our uh, our idiot president. I will probably think about like oh wow, you know, that was really nice to uh to be home with my girlfriend every day and I you know, I spent so much time with my dogs and we we trained them a bunch and like that was great. Like I I you're you're right. I probably will not think of it as like this terrible experience, you know, cuz I didn't lose my job. Nothing I no one I know has has died of the of the coronavirus yet. So like I think all of that's very possible. Yeah, and it's going to be dependent on what happened to you during this time, but I mean, it, this isn't going to be the case for everyone, but the vast majority of people haven't lost their job or know people that have died. Uh, yeah, I think I, I think I read that like one in four people know someone who has gotten the coronavirus. I, I don't know about who has died of it. And what, but yeah, and, they, I, either way, it wouldn't be the majority. And what's unemployment up to now, percentage wise? Has it cracked very 20? High. Is it, has it cracked yeah. 20? 
let's uh well you know unemployment rate as a as a number is fraught but let's uh let's google it what do we what do we think it is i think it's probably 25 percent. i'll say 20 but there's a lot of stuff baked into that too like some a, a lot not a lot of the people i don't actually know what the actual breakdown is but i know a lot of people who have been laid off for the moment but they're going to get their jobs back once everything yeah, furloughs yeah like that's a lot of people yeah so right now um it looks like well okay never mind i okay it looks like about 15 percent on uh trading economics.com that you whatever i you know i've never never heard of this website before it might not be legit but i know that i know that we have seen the largest week over week increases in unemployment claims ever over the over the last couple of weeks so for for whatever that means. I am very excited just because I'm a fan of just weird theater and just like hypocrisy as humor that when Trump starts taking credit when the, when the unemployment, like once like when, when the unemployment goes down. Yeah. <laughs> We've seen the biggest. Yeah. I mean, this is just this. That's, Davis, it would be, it would, Davis, people uh, say they have never seen anything. Just ask them. It's, it's terrific. The job they, rate up 10% never, in one week. <laughs> It's amazing. It's amazing how how predictable this stuff is. But yeah, obviously, when people start going back to work, he'll be like this. You know, this never happened under this never happened under Obama. We never saw this many people get jobs. It's it's really it's going to be incredible stuff. It, it, that's going to happen. Like just write that in. <laughs> yeah, I I also think I also think if we're if we're playing Trump bingo, him inventing something about Obama in the middle of this should have been on the the Trump bingo card, right? Ha, ha, like him, ha, ha, yeah. Well, I don't Obamagate. Like, well, I got I got right? cuss, I got cussed to describe because Cuss is pretty plugged in with this kind of not like Obamagate, but just actually knows the news of a lot of the stuff. Like what? Because I'm still confused what Obamagate is, and he kind of explained no, it to no me. No one knows. Well, he explained. I was like, because I, I asked him, I was like, "Do you know what Obamagate is?" And he explained it to me. I was like, "Oh, that makes sense." And he's like, it's ridiculous to bring it up at this point in time. He's like, it's just a deflection thing. He's like, yes, what they did was wrong, but it's nothing outside of the parameters that like it's probably more aggressive than what presidents would have previously done or their administrations anyway but like it's not shit like this happens with every president so it's not that big of a deal and it was almost my counter to be like because trump was talking about like bringing obama in front of like a grand jury and for senate hearings like if he does that then trump has to do all this stuff when he's out of office too i don't think he wants to set that precedent (laughs) well trump's never going to leave office because he's just going to cancel the elections yeah, you think all the freedom people are going to be super pumped about that? Yeah, because it's their dude. Uh, I don't know. I I think uh, the the way that um, that libertarians have sold out for Donald Trump has been has been sort of interesting to me. You, you're I th- really think that your take on who's a libertarian and who's not is just vastly. Well, I only I can only know from online. You know, yeah, most I, of those I people aren't know- fucking libertarians. They're just crazy people. People you you converse with online, by and large, are insane people. Especially people that want to talk about this sort of stuff. Like, yeah, they they, they can say that they're a libertarian. That's great. They can also say that they're not racist. They're probably racist. (laughs) But you're just true. So why you? Because I I will say I'm not. Put it this way: I, I don't want to say that everyone online is racist who claims that they're not racist. But if someone told you online that they were not racist. You probably wouldn't believe. I'd be like, it. "Oh yeah, you're racist for yeah. sure." Yeah, but if they said they're libertarian, you just believe that they're libertarian. Well, they 
most liber- people who claim to be libertarians don't even know the actual like what libertarianism is. Well, I don't think that that doesn't stop them from being a libertarian, though. I think that it probably does. Mm, no, because it's a it's a political it's a political ideology, and if you say like if I say like. I'm a liberal. That that means that that means that I'm a liberal, right? Yeah, but that a liberal by and large has a lot of it's a wide spectrum. A lot of meanings. It, yeah. it's, it's a wide spectrum of what that could mean. Like I would say that I'm a fairly liberal person, uh, but me being a liberal yeah. and you being a liberal has two severely different connotations. Yeah, and especially in, I mean, especially now in the United States with the I mean, like all of a sudden like, you know, we just will see all sorts of conservative policies come from the Democrats. And then, you know, Mitt, Mitt, it's, it, this is actually true that, uh, that Mitt Romney was the first person to suggest universal basic income as a solution to this crisis. So yeah, it's, uh, these, th- these definitions get, uh, get uh, mixed up all the time, but I, I, well, I guess well, what I would say, well, it's weird because Mitt Romney it, doesn't really fit on the political spectrum. He's in his, and this is where like the, the political spectrum nowadays between like liberal and conservative doesn't really make a lot of sense because you need to put in the like there are obviously different polls of that but there's a polarization amongst people who are like on either side that needs to be factored in and Mitt Romney just has rich guy politics like decent human being rich guy politics like he's going to be out of touch on things because he's so rich that just this some of this stuff doesn't occur to rich people but at the same time like for being a like a super duper rich person, I mean, Mitt Romney took over the Olympics when they were going to go under and made them work. Like you talk about universal basic income, like is an idea that he may have proposed. Like at least he's thinking about that stuff of how his money can go to help people. Yeah, his whole like I mean, people from his party are are mad at him. And I, well, the reason why things are so interesting in the states is that there really is not a left party anymore. There, there's just the there's just the right and the and the center now. And so that that has really aided into the polarization because there are there are so many people now that feel disenfranchised, which is which is just made. Um, the the polarization stuff even worse yeah a, a far left party would actually go a long way in curbing some of the right-wing stuff because like obviously like a super duper right-wing party would never work because you need those people in the center to vote republican in order for it to actually work so part of the problem has become that the centrist democrats have been really attached to like the really progressive democrats that if you had a super left-wing party a lot of the centrist people who vote republican would just almost automatically would become Vote Democrat would just become Democrats. Yeah, and I mean this is this is a huge problem with the electoral college and two party system, and you know, the, not we're not we're not, we're not saying anything that people don't already know about the way American politics works. No, but I mean, as someone who comes from a parliamentary system, like you see a lot of the same sort of problems, like a, a fractured left in Canada uh, drove mm-hmm. the one conservative party to have to. I mean. It's kind of the inverse of what happened in the States. Like the conservatives got the most votes in the Canadian election, but they came a huge second to the Liberal Party because the Liberal Party won more seats. But they also split up the vote with like four leftist parties. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. And and I I mean, I would imagine in the States we'd have the the super far right, which is like the the Trump people. And then we'd have the people who, uh, you know, vote Republican despite not you know because of money right because of of taxes and stuff like that 
And then we'd have the the centrist Democrats that don't like that that don't want to be taxed a ton and still think that we should have loads of rich people. Yeah, but de- de- still Democrats think we have- Democrats who hate AOC. Yes, and then we'd have and then we'd have the Young People Party, which would be which would be the worst because uh, no one because no one would vote in it. <laughs> Tough scene. It's true. I mean, I've never I've never missed an election day, but I am. I am positive that I mean the numbers just show that many people my age never vote. Yeah, look look at Bernie. Bernie was going to do great, wasn't he? With all those young people. <laughs> Ugh, very very tough scenes for uh, for Mr. Bernard. So it, so you would get into a situation where this it would make the centrist party too because you would if you had a super right party and a super left party, the Democrats and Republicans would merge into one as the centrist party, and the centrist party would win like eighty percent of the vote. Would would crush? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And I mean, the the I guess the interesting thing is is most um, you know most political people do just sort of agree that that uh, the there's not really that big of a difference between the political parties in the states that like lar- by and large their their policy like it's it's really just on the fringes where they even disagree about anything. Yeah, and those become the polarized fringes, and those are the people that you hear about. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I mean the politicians, not I'm sure, you know, the average right person, left person, they don't agree on anything. But the way that the parties work, they, they mostly serve the same interests. Yeah, because I mean, think about the people that become politicians. Like I remember talking to uh, I mean, I was the best man in his wedding. He stood in my wedding. His mom is a lawyer. Uh, she was going to become a judge. They keep trying to get her to run for political office. She doesn't want to. She's like, I like being my lawyer. I like owning my own family law firm. That's what she does. Is she's done for like 35 years. But when she was in law yeah. school, she was in law school with like four people like in her class who ended up becoming major Canadian politicians. Uh, and some of them were super left. Some of them were super right. She's like, they're all fucking the same person. Like they just, they went to law school so they could become politicians. They just want power. They want yeah. power. Like, yeah. Not, and not every politician is like that, but like, that's why 85% of them like get into it at an early age. Like they take the steps. Like when you see the senior in high school who's doing all these weird, like charity stuff, like that's not what most, 18 year olds or 17 year olds really want to be doing, but they're padding their resume to get into the good college. The good college will lead to the good law school. The good law school will lead to, you can work in this person's office. As yeah. They're, like they're dweebs. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the biggest thing about Trump that kind of separated him. And Bernie's kind of the same way that although Bernie has money now, he wasn't like, and he is a career politician that didn't seem to be his background. He seemed like more like he was like a, someone who was a professor who somehow got into politics. And that's why Trump is so popular in a way, is that, well, he has the background of a lot of these guys. It's not the calculated background that they all went about to become a politician. Yeah, and I mean, Trump's message also... Trump doesn't have a message. It's just like, I'm saying stuff. Listen to it. (laughs) Well, what people... My opinion on why people like Trump, on why he was able to win so many votes when people didn't think he would, is that people sort of think of politics in a very simple minded way, which is like, I just want one guy to fix everything. And Trump was like, I'm the guy I'll fix (laughs) fix everything. I'll fix it all. Yeah. So that to me is sort of Trump's largest selling point to his base. Well, that and everyone who was a centrist, but potentially right leaning person knew 
that taxes presumably wouldn't be going up under Trump. Yes. Yeah. Like that was a lock for them. And they were like, well, that's my one issue. I'll vote for Trump. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure. And I'm sure that is a primary voting issue for for many people. Yeah. And even I mean, that's one thing that Biden's been pretty firm about over the primary is that, I mean, the fact that he doesn't know where he is seems to be a problem. But he who I yeah, like, what is this guy doing? Like, he's just hiding in his basement. If that's the move, the move is for him never to talk and just don't even debate Trump and just have your name on the ballot in November and you probably win. The more he talks, the worse it gets for him. <laughs> yeah, guy doesn't have ugh, Biden. It's the worst. Should just hide out. Hide out. Don't be stay out of the yeah, public. Don't, every every time every time he opens his mouth, he says something stupid basically. Well, this is why I brought up to Cust was imagine Bloomberg had won. Bloomberg if it was Bloomberg right now versus Trump, Bloomberg would be pulling at like 90%. Yeah, it'd just be just be crushing. Yeah. And that that was always the, he, that was the case for Bloomberg anyway. It was just he was a disaster uh, when he was running. But one v one versus Trump, like he would just be annihilating him right now. Yeah, I mean he would be you know much better at uh, technology. He would just be he yeah he'd be figuring it all out. Yeah, he also knows where he is. That helps. Yeah, I've heard like knowing your own name, knowing what year it is, all of that. I think is uh, is is generally helpful as a as a politician. I can't confirm it though. I'm a big fan of these Joe Biden memes, though. They're pretty funny. Which ones? Oh, just like knock knock. Trump saying who's there, and then Biden saying who's there. Who's there? That's <laughs> I mean that is funny. So I'm getting. Yeah, at, I don't know. As a non-American, I'm getting humor out of it at least. Yeah, I'm sure. It, I'm sure it's. I'm sure it's funny as our as our politician becomes like a, a like. I mean, both of these guys are at, are in the uh, the at risk COVID. Uh, how did Trump not get? How did not Trump not get this? Trump's had COVID. He just he had to have had it. And he just beat like he just he has Trump genes. Beat the beat the hell out of it. Well, yeah, it's just it's it doesn't it doesn't kill everyone, right? No, not everyone. Not everyone. Uh, not everyone gets the worst of it. So, yeah, like good for him so maybe the plan with biden is is that he's pretending to be senile so when all this is over and he's like out there that he like seems super sharp gotta think i don't i don't view that as like a super sharp political strategy yeah well it could be working at this like if you set expectations so low for yourself and then you only need to beat them for six weeks or something at the end of the election it makes you look really good yeah, I mean, maybe they're uh, maybe they're working on uh, some special brain stuff to uh, to get him to get him all sorted out soon. Fuck, man, he if he's not pumping himself full of like HGH right now, like he's doing something wrong. Yeah, he needs to be on every kind of uh, stem cells, HGH, yeah. all of it. Every they, every Alzheimer's treatment that there is, like they just they got to be filling I him see, full of experimental stuff. You see, I, I don't like that part. Of it. I think that. I don't like when people say that. Like, you can say Joe's losing his mind, that kind of thing. But to say that, like, he has Alzheimer's or, like, a real disease, I think is kind of shitty to people who know people or that actually have, have it. it. Like, yeah, like, that. that's shitty to say. He's just an old guy. Yeah, he's just senile. Yeah, he's just, tip- like, my grandfather's 75. Like, he's all over the map. <laughs> yeah, like, that's, that's ba- like, Joe Biden is just, like, your grandpa who uh who can only have like one beer at dinner because if he has you know if he has more than that then he uh he just like doesn't know what's going on yeah and amp that up by a million percent because the dude's under like the biggest pressure the most stress the most stress there's a tremendous amount of stress david a tremendous amount of stress 
but I have the best people, terrific people over here. They're helping me through it, helping you. You, you listen to them, and then they start to talk. No, one's, then, no one's ever had better people. Well, you, when, you, well, when you have the best people, how could you have anyone better? I, could, I mean, you couldn't. All right, let's leave it at that. My wife there is texting go. me, being like, where the fuck are you? <laughs> there we go. Everyone, that's the show. That'll do it on the wrapping up the Corona cast. Yeah, let's uh, let let us pray. Let us pray that this is the last one, and we uh, we forget that uh, all this ever happened. Well, maybe in two weeks' time or something like that, I will have some time. I brought my audio equipment all home with me, and maybe you can record it on on my behalf. Send it. I almost do the inverse of what we do right now, and send it to me. And maybe we can catch up in like two, three weeks' time. Yeah, you'll you'll probably be desperate for an adult conversation at that point, so I will be around. Yeah, I'm just I'm just waiting for a millionaire pricing to drop for the colonial. I'm all excited about that. That gives me something like. And then you're ready to grind. I am. I actually said that I have already told my wife that I've I've marked out the days of when I'm coming back in to do my golf shows. There you go. I mean, you gotta you gotta know what's really important in these uh, in these uncertain times. Well, as I told her, I was like, "Look, I'm taking. I took one day off after the last baby." and came back and kept recording shows. That was actually Tiger coming back for the farmers. So, you know, wouldn't want to miss out on a Tiger week. I was like, look, I'm probably going to take like three weeks off full time. Like I'll still be able to do what I can do from home. I can still do writing, that kind of thing. But in terms of like video stuff, I have all that done. But this is one thing that's going to be very important for me just in general, like to get back and do the golf shows. Golf is never going to be randomly bigger than it is for Colonial Mm -hmm. that it would be bad for my career if I didn't come back and do it. Yeah, you gotta you gotta grind those clicks. Know that about it. Yeah, like there's gonna be the opportunity for me to cast such a wide net with the return of golf in this moment uh, is just really big for I think anyone who works in the golf space. Yeah, it's massive. Like anyone, imagine, imagine, imagine not having 19 shows for the Colonial. Could never be Pat Mayo. This, this is true. Treat it like it's the Masters. But I just look at the numbers that Paul and Cody, the increase in followers, the increase in downloads, the increase in views that they've done just because they're UFC show. Like I would imagine that golf is going to be bigger than that. Yeah, I don't. That that is not a market that has reached its saturation with uh, sports as currently constituted at all. And I have a leg up on a lot of people who cover golf, especially in our either DraftKings or gambling industry, is that I'm SEO viable in this space. Yep, you've already you've already gained the system. So, so yeah, I get I, really I, true. I will attract a lot of the people Googling golf picks. Like the, the I will inherently just come up very high in those searches. So it means more to me than even a lot of people who might not be as like have as large of an audience as I do that I think I'm in a good spot for this one. So I'm going to use uh, I'm going to use my powers to have as many people from different places on as possible because Davis, I like to spread around the wealth with inside the community. You're a, you're a, you're a good man, Mr. Mail. There's no doubt about it. Well, the the big thing is I need to push people to the people who actually know stuff so I don't seem like a moron. <laughs> or or maybe you just have your best week of picks ever as it, a colonial. It, if How so, about that? If somehow I have my best not even to say that I win the millionaire maker or anything like that, but if someone, some rando tuned into the Pat Mayo experience and won the millionaire maker because of my picks, or I picked the, even just picking the winner that week on a bet would go, I would say it would go a long way. I would say it would be the most, the second most important pick that I've ever gotten right after Danny Willett. Other than, uh, other than Mr. Trillet himself. Yeah. Well, you hold up well. All right, man. All right, man. You too. Good luck. Uh, yeah, I hope I hope everything goes smooth with you and uh, with you and the kids. Tell yeah, uh, me too. Tell the wife good luck. Thank you Stay very safe. much.
Yeah, and you stay safe. Tell the girlfriend, say, I say hi. Tell the dogs, give them a pat on the head for me, and uh, I'm out of here. All right, man. Good luck. Uh, enjoy enjoy your time off. Cleanse cleanse your brain a little bit. I'll try to. Maybe I'll try to read. I'll learn how to read over this. It's, it seems like a lot to learn how to read and have a kid at the same time. Eh, we'll see. Maybe I can bang it. That's where I'll focus my mental my mental energy to get myself back on track. Learn how to read. Step one. That'll be, that'll be, um, I, I'm interested to see the results of that experiment. All right, man. See ya. Experience. Experience.